Welcome to Living Martial Arts with Master Ray Gale, aka The Dark Master. Living Martial Arts discuss and examines the everyday exercise, philosophy, and lifestyle of the martial arts enthusiast. The host talks about his own training, past and present, and he also interviews many martial artists to discover how they continue to live their own martial arts journey. Tune in for top tips on how to get the best out of your martial art. Or perhaps you're thinking of starting a martial art. This podcast offers you an easy way to dip your toe in. Sign up for the newsletter at livingmartialarts.com and get regular updates and training tips direct to your inbox. Follow the Dark Master on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Living Martial Arts. Hi, hi to everyone. Welcome again to the Living Martial Arts podcast with me, the Dark Master. And once again, uh, we have Mr. Kieran McDonald for part two. Uh, we had part one, really, really uh, interesting interview, gave us some insights onto his, into his martial arts journey. And um, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have a few more insights into his, uh, his martial arts world now. So uh, how are you again, Mr. McDonald? How are you doing? Oh, I'm brilliant, sir. Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's good. All Excellent. is good as well. Good, and it's nice to see the uh, the sun is shining, which is which is quite um, appreciated. Uh, after this interview, I'm going to go out for my daily walk. I do try and get out for a walk uh, most days, and particularly when it's sunny, I try and take my top off and get a get a bit bit of vitamin D, and um, hopefully to boost my immune system. So, uh, yeah, you know where that sun is, don't you? Sorry, say again. You know where that sun is. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to see it for a long time. So hopefully this is it. Hopefully this is it. Well, we'll, we'll carry on um, with uh, with part two of uh, of the interview and uh, finding out a little bit about uh, about you. Uh, on previous podcasts, I've mentioned to some of the guests um, that uh, I've been doing some some meditation um, and some breath work. And I found it really beneficial. And I don't know whether this is um, this is more of an age thing. <laughs> now that uh, I've got fighting out of my system, although I, I still like to, to spar and fight, uh, but I'm not very good at it these days. So um, meditation and breath work takes up a little bit of my day. I try and do some, some meditation at least once a day. I try and do some breath work twice a day, once in the morning. Uh, very early and once late at night just before I go to bed um, I also do that along with some red light therapy that that's a, a story for another day but um, I found it really really beneficial it's uh, certainly not natural to my my personality sitting in one place and doing nothing and trying to just concentrate on my on my breath uh, so I have explored different types of breath work I've tried some uh, buteco breath work um, I've been currently doing Wim Hof I'm also looking at some some yogic uh, breath work as well at the moment. But um, what about yourself? Do you do any uh, meditation or breath work? No, <clears throat> uh, quite frankly, no. My wife, I, um, I had a couple of lessons at Qigong a few years ago. Um, and at the end of a class, every now and again, I do hypo-oxygenate <sighs> the body. But yes. not, not really very much, no. I do do stretching every morning, and that is... Um, that takes a good 45 minutes every morning. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I'm not training, that is. And then, then I do the stretching afterwards. But I always incorporate 45 minutes worth of stretching in 
you know, consequently, I'm always a couple of inches off uh, the full side splits or the front splits. I've been that way for 20 odd years. I don't, yeah. <laughs> don't think I'm going to get those last couple of inches, but, <laughs> but you know, I'm nearly 50. So, uh, you know, being flexible at the age of 50 has other benefits other than being able to do the splits, doesn't it? It means you can sure. move around without uh, pulling muscles in your back and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it is it is handy. I mean, I think, um, and I've said before that, that meditation can take many different forms. It depends on, you know, the, the activity involved. I can find, uh, you know, playing guitar, playing harmonica, quite a meditative mm. process. Um, yeah. And afterwards, you know, I, I can get up and feel quite energised and think, wow, you know, I, I feel good. Or, as I mentioned just now, going out for a walk. Uh, in the sun and doing what I would call a moving meditation, um, mm. not not thinking about work or thinking about anything else. But uh, I like looking at um, uh, the change in the in, in the flowers and the trees uh, through the seasons. So I can find that quite a meditative process as well. Um, but certainly, certainly the uh, the breath work has been um, uh, yeah quite quite a change. It's something that. Even though we do it in our martial arts, you know, we, we practice uh, breathing as we're doing particular movements. Mm-hmm. Um, just concentrating just on breathing alone uh, has been quite a quite a new dimension for me. And um, yeah, my wife's a big fan of it actually. She's, um, uh, as you know, my wife is uh, her p- parents are both Indian, and uh, consequently, she's inherited a love of yoga from from them, and she's playing into uh, meditation as well. So she's always telling me like. You know, uh, the in martial arts, we're very, very fond of uh, duality, like white, black, off, on, good, bad, you know, up, down, yin, yang, or um, yang. And she's saying to me, you know, it's all aggression, aggression, aggression uh, all the time. Although, you know, my, my martial arts is not necessarily aggressive. Uh, it, it is in that kind I've got my foot in that camp most of the time. And she's saying to me, yeah, you really need to balance that with uh, meditation. And um, as I get older, <laughs> I'm thinking, do you know, she probably is right, because I do find it hard to unwind quite a lot of the time. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I think she's bang on. Um, you know, for most of my life, I've been a very, um, you know, on-the-go person all the time. And mm. um, I, I certainly needed that balance uh, in my life. And <laughs> you can argue that maybe it's come a bit late to me, but I, I don't think it has. I, I am enjoying the benefits of it. And uh, I think I'm a, now, um, you know, a lot better for it. So I, I do intend to carry it on. I, ca- I tend to carry on, uh, carry on long term and keep the, the breathing, keep the meditation going. Uh, maybe just explore some different types of um, uh, meditation and breathing as well. And just see what, uh, uh, how it makes me feel. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, um, what about um, what type of things do you do when you're not doing martial arts? I know we we spoke about this in the in the first podcast. That actually, well, it's fitting your life into your martial arts. But you mm. know, what what takes you out of that martial arts mode? You know, apart from your kids and your family, which obviously um, you know yeah. it, it does. What what else? Well, uh, the kids and the family have really changed the shape of everything I do. Um, so. In the past, to unwind, I used to do uh, gardening. When I was in, living in the city, obviously I had different uh, ways of unwinding there. But when my wife and I moved out to the countryside uh, about 17 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, 
um, I took up gardening. So I used to garden and our garden was immaculate. I was very proud of it. We had a load of fresh produce that we would eat all the time from it. Um, we were actually getting to a stage where we were going to get livestock and go pretty much uh, self-sufficient. But the children came along. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so now I live in a you know, house of uh, 20 foot weeds and thistles and uh, you know, <laughs> kind of usher guests past the garden into the house sort of thing uh, <laughs> prior to COVID. But so, yeah, so your priorities shift a lot. I mean, I used to enjoy reading a lot. I've got a bit of wide library of books and in the past I would read an awful lot of martial arts and study languages and things like that. But when the kids come along, you're snatching moments of, uh, you know, relaxation on your own. So consequently, I haven't read a book in a long time. I actually sat down, read it for enjoyment. I've done it, studied stuff, but I haven't sat down, read for enjoyment quite, quite a long time. It's very difficult to do. So um, now, like yourself, very much like yourself, if I get a good sunny day like this and I don't have anything on, I do like to pick the guitar up and sit around in the sun, plucking away at that and uh, scaring the birds away with a bit of singing. Um, yeah, and if if I can, uh, a cup of coffee and a book is nice to do as well. Yeah, de- de- definitely. Well, I, I, do you know what? I, I'm very much the same. Uh, I used to read physical books uh, quite a lot. I'm, I'm, I, I love uh, factual things, not not necessarily um, fiction, but I like non-fiction stuff. I like to read about mm. facts and, uh, for want of a better word, real things. Um, but uh, what I tend to do now is I, I, for years, I've been listening to audio books, and I really, really like that. And you know, I can switch off uh, if it's sort of if I'm going to bed early, switch the lights off, put my audio book in. Uh, put my headphones on, uh, audiobook on, and listen. And um, I find that really, really great. So I can still get that experience of uh, listening to facts and taking things in and interesting things in, but I don't have to physically have, have the book. I still think a physical book is great, by the way. I really yeah. do. And I don't think you can beat it, but I think you have to sort of try and design your, your lifestyle Um you know, to make it convenient. And audiobooks are very, very convenient. And also I can go out and walk and, and put an audiobook on as well. I don't know if you've ever tried audiobooks. I do them all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much addicted to spoken word these days. I've got a massive library of uh, albums and music and I used to be a DJ. So I used to do that a lot when I was younger as a as relaxation, get the turntables out, blast out some bass heavy music. Uh, but but yeah, but now I listen to the radio, Radio Four a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is an age thing. <laughs> See, I'm only on, I'm only on Radio Two. <laughs> oh, you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted to Woman's Hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only on Radio Two, so uh, you know. Apart from when my kids get in the car, I say, Dad, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> The, the same yeah. thing that I used to say to my dad when I used to get in the car. What is this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, as I, you know, I, I think that um, uh, you know, even even digital. But I mean, I've I've actually said to myself that I can't buy any more books. Uh, when I moved recently, I had <laughs> my loft was absolutely packed with books. I've still got a lot of books, but I had to get rid of a lot as well. Um, it's one of those things where so I keep that book because I might read it again. And there's no chance of me actually reading 
these some particular books again so in the end I thought right I need to get rid of them and I had boxes and boxes so um, it was actually quite quite nice actually it was quite a calming process in the end uh, once I came back to the house I thought well actually that's all gone now and uh, mm. the, these are the books that I really want to keep uh, but it was it was a difficult process but I do enjoy uh, reading books and um, well, you know that, that's interesting like the attachment to physical objects it's very interesting. My wife <clears throat> is very attached to everything. She's one of those uh, lovely people that hoard stuff and can't throw anything away. And and I used to be, I, I never had, uh, you know, I come from a relatively poor background, so I never had huge amounts of uh, physical possessions or personal possessions. But what I did have, I was very attached to. Like they were my things. And uh, when I got older and I, I had more disposable income, I bought more stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like everybody else in society thinking that the more stuff I own, the happier I would be. And um, when my wife and I got married in 2006, we took a year off and we travel around the world. Uh, so we took everything that we owned and we put it up in the loft, locked it, and then we rented out our house to some people. Uh, and so you didn't have anything. You're just living out of a backpack for a year. And uh, basically when I got back, the uh, we couldn't get back into the house because we'd rented it out to somebody else and the contract was for another three or four months when we came back so we didn't have any choice but to move in with my my wife's mother my mother-in-law in warwick which is a completely different place so i went up there steady take one up there uh on the i think it was the uh, gt uk and i lived in her flat but i couldn't get hold of my possessions still my personal possessions which were up in the loft right uh, and so i lived there without any physical possessions really uh, and when i moved back to my house at the end of it in almost two years later i left everything up in the loft i never took it all down yeah, yeah, yeah. i was cured you know from my obsession of having stuff and accumulating stuff uh don't get me wrong i still uh used to uh, raid the old charity shop but I didn't feel any attachment to physical possessions anymore. And I don't at all either. So although I have loads of books and loads of albums and uh, stereo and guitars and stuff like that, I don't feel any physical attachment to any of it. I could quite easily leave it and go, go somewhere else. And and it, it. Well, it's a nice place to be. And, and I can concur with that. I had a very similar experience uh, last year when I moved, uh, I moved from a, a, a house with, uh, you know, three, three, bedrooms albeit one of them a very small box room where I was living there on my own I had lots of stuff (laughs) and um, I I hired a skip actually a a large skip outside my house and I thought well I'll put some stuff in there I'll never fill it Uh, I did (laughs) not only did I fill it not only did I fill it I overfilled it Um, but it was great when when the the lorry came along to take it all away and um, you know do what they do with it it was great. And now I live a, a lot smaller. I live in a, a park home and um, there isn't any room for stuff. <laughs> so uh, so that's great. I just try and live with the things that I need. And I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's been really good for me. Like, like everybody, you get into this thing where um, you feel you need this and you need mm-hmm. that to live with. And then you realise, actually, I, I don't really need that much to live with. You know, as long as I've got, uh, you know, a bed or somewhere, not even a bed. Uh, <laughs> I did I did actually uh, live without a bed for some time. I actually lived, strangely enough, without, <laughs> without a cooker for six months at one time. 
Um, I just used a little gas stove and it was fine. I got on really well. Um, it, it was actually quite actually quite nice to know that I could actually survive. Yeah, I did that. I did that for for six months as well. I lived with a microwave. Um, I was looking after a property for the Crown uh, Property Services in London. It was an old abandoned uh, pub. I think it was called a Trafalgar. No, no, it wasn't called a Trafalgar. That's a good pub. I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, the landlord got into some argument with the local villains, and uh, one of them came in and chopped his fingers off on the bar with a machete, uh, and then they shut the pub. So. Um, yeah, they got us in as a security outfit to just look after the building. So I was in there looking after the building during the middle of winter. And it was freezing. And although we had uh, electricity, we didn't have any gas. And so all I had was a microwave, which had a big crack down it. And uh, so you were never altogether certain whether you were getting uh, microwaved yourself. So we used to put the food in the oven, close the microwave, and then run out the room <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the bring come back in, but yeah, you, you learn you learn some interesting ways of making food when you've got limited uh, ways of cooking, don't you? Well, you do. Yeah, I, I actually don't even have a microwave. Uh, I don't use one. Uh, I have a just a, a normal um, uh, cooker that I do things on, and um, so I, I tend not to heat anything up on microwaves. And I, I mean, I'm lucky in a way because I can just cook for myself and, and so on. Mm. When, when, the, when the kids come around, they can go, oh, Dad, where's your microwave? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, yeah, there, there, were, there was actually a life before microwaves, you know. <laughs> I lived that quite well. But uh, so, talking about microwaves, um, what about uh, food and um, sort of diet regimes? Not in the diet, in, the, in, in dieting in the sense, but when I say diet about what you eat. Now, I'm quite, I'm quite conscious about what I eat. That's not to say I don't eat any rubbish. Uh, my Achilles heel tends to be potato crisps, unfortunately. Um, and I have to I have to stay away from those uh, as much as possible. Um, you know, if I go to a party and I have a one crisp, then it, it's deadly. Um, but as, as you know, I mean, I've come up to do a grading for you before and you said, oh, what do you want to eat? And I said, oh, an avocado. They said, yeah, what else? I said, well, no, just an avocado and green tea. So right. I, I do try to eat uh, very, very clean. Uh, I've also realised that um, there isn't one one diet that fits all. Mm. I think you have to listen to your body and see what your body likes um, and see what your body doesn't like. And I think we we've sort of lost that in the West a little bit. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we tend to get stomach discomfort or whatever, and then we say, mm. "Well, I wonder what that is," but we don't really think about the food that we ate two hours before, um, <laughs> and we, we we don't connect the two, we don't connect the dots. So anyway, do you have any particular sort of diet or food regimes that you stick to? I do. You know, you talking about, uh, you know, people having painful stomachs and then continuing the same thing. You should see my dad. He's too weird. He's a wonder, wonder of modern science. He's had like three or four heart attacks and uh, he's had stints put in here and there. And his doctors give him advice on what he should eat, and he never listens. He just only <laughs> listens to what he wants to hear. So they'll give him a vast array of foods that he should eat, and he'll say, can I have some chocolate? And they'll say, well, you know, you shouldn't really eat chocolate, but if a little bit of chocolate, like every now and again, won't kill you. And then he'll only hear, yes, you can eat chocolate. So if you put up for the chocolate. So he's always known about having a bad stomach, but if you look in his fridge, it's full of, Pork pies, tomatoes, Diet Coke, 
and white bread. That's it. I, I, I don't, that's I don't think he's alone. I have to say, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of people out there who are only listening to the who uh, have selective <laughs> selective hearing um, regarding regarding food. So, uh, but it, it, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I think it's a lot harder now than than when I was. Uh, I'm sounding ancient. I don't want to sound ancient, but you know, you never had. A sort of a McDonald's or a KFC around every corner. Uh, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the out of town shopping places that you go to uh, always have the same sort of outlets, you know, KFC, McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, blah, blah, blah. And it's very, very easy to get into that. And, and even I, at times, I thought, well, I'm, I'm really hungry, but there's no choice. So I'm going to have to go into that place and get something. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's tough. I think that when I was uh, training, doing a lot of physical training, I could get away with eating anything, really. Mm. And, you know, myself and uh, a master O, you know, we used to stop at our local burger place and get burger and chips before the training session and then do the same afterwards, you know, and still and still lose weight. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm a lot more conscious now. But also, like, food science has changed. Uh, people's understanding of nutrition has changed over the years. So people have always... Um, uh, deferred to the uh, wiser advice of uh, so-called experts, but the experts change what they consider to be uh, sage wisdom uh, every, God knows, under 10, 15, 20 years or whatever. A good example of that is now that um, everybody's on this um, high-fat uh, protein diets mm. and cutting out carbs. Um, and now we know and I personally uh, used to be a big binger of pasta all the time, thinking that it was the training food, the wonder food for training, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I switched to um, whole wheat pasta because that was going to be the, the fix-all. But we now know that spiking your uh, eating huge amounts of uh, carbohydrates spikes your glycemic uh, uh, yeah. uh, index. Right? Yeah, and yeah. You so you go through the roof in energy levels, and then you crash. So you peak and trough a lot more. Yeah. And also, if you're not burning the energy off, you immediately turn it into um, glycogen, which you store around the body in adipose tissue, in your fatty tissues. So if you're men, you'll store it on your belly. If you're women, you store it on your bottom. Mm. Um, and so uh, I spoke, I, I listened to this uh, interview with this Australian nutritionist, and he was very apologetic. He was pushing the high-fat, high-protein diet, and he was very apologetic of his time as a high-level sports nutritionist, yeah. he was working with Olympic athletes and people of that caliber, and his thinking was by pushing the high-carbohydrate diet onto those people, he had in fact shortened their careers. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, right? Well, well, well. It's funny you should say that because I I did some nutrition courses in the nineties, and um, it was in Hertfordshire actually, the Academy of Sports Therapy. And the lecturer there was a, a woman called Anita Bean. And uh, I, I don't know whether her book is still on um, the, uh, you know, Amazon, you can still get it. Uh, but she was the nutritionist for the British Olympic team at one of the Olympics. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and I've still got the notes. And on there, it does state 70 percent of your uh, intake for a day should come from carbohydrates and that that was the norm at that time you know people were were pushing that um for for athletes 70 percent carbs you know it was quite a, a and the, the rest was split between protein and fat um and one thing that i did find for me personally 
was that when I was on that regime, about three o'clock when I was thinking, right, I'm going to need to go to my class, I used to get a huge, huge low, yeah, massive yeah. low. I had to have coffee. I had to have, you know, a Mars bar or whatever just to, just to get back up again to do my class and then crash afterwards, as you mentioned. Um, mm. And I think that 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 was the thing, you know, carbo loading or carb loading and loading with pasta the night before a marathon was the thing. Well, you're working, and, you're working up uh, a... Uh, early um, uh, di- diabetes. Yeah, you're basically yeah. experiencing symptoms of diabetes, right? By loading up with carbs, body burns them all off. Sure. Glycemic level goes crazy. Then you crash through the roof, crash through the floor, and then you spike them again with more carbs, and it's just like a vicious cycle. One of the things, I mean, you were asking me earlier about uh, do I have any uh, particular food regimes that I follow? I I, I tend to try and eat healthily. And uh, I supplement my healthy eating with uh, red wine and beer. Um, but <laughs> one of the things I discovered that, um, is, you know, previously I was a slave to the whole uh, loading of carbs thing. And then I, I discovered that I didn't have to eat that way any longer. I could eat other stuff. And so consequently, I, my, my diet isn't made up of carbs all the time and I'm not loading up on them. Any, and, and then I discovered that that could go even further. So that, um, and everybody does it now, it's like a craze. But I got into intermittent fasting, which means, oh, yes, yeah. for, I mean, you obviously know this, but for anybody who doesn't know this, it just yeah. means that you don't eat for a longer period of time in between meals. Yeah. What I discovered was, and this was only relatively recently, I heard that like people like George St. Pierre and uh, other like elite athletes, they were doing this all the time. And so I thought, well, if look, George St. Pierre, being a hero of mine, if he can do it, yeah, fight UFC on this diet, then yeah. I can do it. So basically, what you do is you don't eat for a large window of twelve to sixteen hours. You can extend it yeah. further, but it's usually about twelve to sixteen hours. Yes. And what that does is it gets your body used to the fact that it can work without um, loading up on carbs or whatever you're eating in short uh, short snatches. And you can burn the food that you do eat more efficiently over a longer period of time. Yeah. And I used to get up in the morning and I had like, uh, you know, whenever I had a class, I tra- whenever I train, usually on a Saturday morning, I'd start, we had a class at nine o'clock in the morning uh, um, in Newbury uh, when I was doing uh, BJJ there at nine o'clock in the morning. And I had to get up an hour earlier than that because I had to eat. I had to have a small cup of coffee and something substantial in my stomach just so I had a little bit of energy you know, uh, and I didn't want to load load up on food so that it would be in my belly when I was rolling around with people. So I had to get up earlier than I needed to. And what I discovered was if I don't actually eat at all in the mornings, I end up with more energy rather than less energy. Uh, and I can then train for a couple of hours. I come home, stretch for another 45 minutes. I still don't need to eat until, I, to, you know, until about 12, 1 or whatever. And my body gets used to that. And, I, and there's no discernible dip in energy at all. You can train just as hard uh, and just as long. It's crazy. Well, it's I, would, really, I would agree really with that. Hard. Yeah, well, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I do that now. Um, I, I mean, you know, intermittent fasting or whether you call it time-restricted eating. I know some people call it that, TRE. Um, I ate yesterday my last bit of food which wasn't a, wasn't a meal, actually. It was a very, very small po- portion of food. It was at 6.30. I haven't eaten at all today 
Um, we're twelve thirty now in the after, uh, just twelve thirty in the afternoon. Uh, so when I finish this interview, I'll probably make myself something to eat. So you know that's a, a period there of eighteen. It'll probably be nineteen hours uh, since my last meal. Um, I've had green tea and water and that type of thing. Uh, so no, I would definitely agree with that. It certainly made a, a massive difference uh, to me, and I don't get that. I have to eat now feeling where I used to get. Exactly. If I if I didn't eat in five minutes, the world was going to cave in. Um, exactly. You know, but you, don't get, you don't get hangry either. That's that's another thing. Yes, yeah, hangry. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, when you're a slave to uh, you know three meal times, squeezing three meal times in a day, when you're slave yeah. to that, you're hangry all the time. Yeah. Well, ma- maximum I have maximum of two meals. Uh, sometimes one meal a day. Um, but never three now. It's always it's always one or two. So and I, I feel quite happy with that, and uh, my body tends to to work quite quite efficiently. So so that's mm. good. So uh, finally, I, I just wanted to ask about um, uh, grade your feelings on whether you feel uh, grade matters. Now, don't get me wrong; it, it does matter. Otherwise, we wouldn't strive to be the next grade up. Um, but I think once you get up a few grades they tend to matter less you know when, yeah. when I was a white belt and a yellow belt you know I wanted to be a black belt and that was the thing and then when I got to black belt I thought oh yeah I'll get my second hand and then it sort of started to wear off after <laughs> thought, do I really want to um and so I look at it now and I think it's not so much about um about grade uh, for me it's about uh, you as a person your attitude the way you approach your your training and actually i could quite uh i could survive now uh, on just performing six or seven patterns um that, oh, I, that, yeah. I, that I love uh, i don't need to to practice 24 um, no. so yeah just your thoughts on that really well you know grade means a lot of different things to a lot of different people so um you know my take on grade is very different than other people uh so it's like uh, like when you get a black belt, you know, you say to people that uh, how's black belt going to change you? And uh, the real answer is it doesn't change you very much. It changes the way you're perceived by other people. Uh, and grade is very much like that in the Taekwondo world. Sure. In a lot of the martial arts world, the little gold bars on your belt are how people view you. And they're, they're, you're rightly or wrongly, you're viewed as uh, the bars are viewed as a measure of the knowledge you've accumulated over those years and you know this is going to sound really uh, awful because uh, it's but it's just the way i look at things uh, my feeling is the more grades you acquire uh for me the more knowledge i need to acquire yeah uh, if i don't if i'm not acquiring more knowledge then the great i'm not sure what the grades are measuring for me in particular sure okay um, yeah. so uh, and and consequently, you know, there are a lot of people masquerading at very high grades that can't throw a hook punch. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. my feeling is that um, we should have a, a, like a kind of, not, I know it's impossible to have a, like a standard throughout Taekwondo, even though, or any yeah. martial art in particular, because all of our different interpretations of what, what that means to people. But I believe that if you're going to walk around with six bars on your belt, you should be able to throw a hook punch. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, th- thank you very much for that. I, I appreciate that and um, appreciate your your insights into that. Uh, well, we've we've come to the end of, of part two. Uh, I hope at some point in the future we'll have a part three. 
uh, and speak to you again, find out how, how you're getting on. Uh, maybe um, I'd love to, to come down to a, a session uh, and perhaps uh, just do a, a small interview while you're you're doing your stuff. Um, yeah, we can sort of sort of cover that. But um, th- thanks very much for that. I'd like to say to uh, everybody listening, um, if you want to subscribe to uh, the podcast, you can do that at uh, livingmartialarts.com. You can s- subscribe to the newsletter and get updates as soon as these podcasts come out. If you want to connect with uh, Mr. Kieran McDonald, then please have a look at the show notes. We'll put his details in there. Uh, connect with him and, um, you know, perhaps get him, invite him down to your dojo, your dojang, uh, to do a session for you. Thanks very much, uh, Kieran. Hope to see you soon. Take Thank care you, and uh, look after yourself and best wishes to you and your family. Peace and love from the Dark Master. Thank you. Thank you, sir.